All right. Here we are. Here we are. So, good evening. Tonight's cheer is in honor of Aaron and Josh. Baruch Hashem. Uh, they should give you both a lot of koyach and a lot of mazel to turn over the world. Listen here, I'm counting on you guys. You guys got the energy for the final, for the final, um, we don't have much, much left, the, the, the final uh, swing. Okay, so this week we have a double portion, a double Torah portion, um, Parshas Matois and Masai, and I'd like to focus on the second portion, Masai, which deals, which is Parshas Chazak. It's the parsha that we conclude all of Sefer Bamidbar. And uh, the parsha talks about the journeys of the Jewish people, and it lists all the places they they journeyed when they went out of Egypt. Altogether, you have 42 journeys, or 42 Masais, as they're called, Membeis Masais. Last week, as I was teaching the Thursday night class, a still Chukas Maimer, we somehow um, connected very strongly to the name of 42, and we came up with some fascinating, I didn't come up, the Alter Rebbe in, in, in Lakuti Torah mentioned some fascinating ideas about the name of 42. And I was intrigued with it. So when it came this week, I said, you know what? Let's do an exploration on the 42 journeys of the Jewish people, the inner significance of that, and what it has, what it means to us. Um, so, you know, when you make a cholent, as I, you know, you have all the ingredients, and you put it into a pot, and you throw it in, and then you have it cook for at least 24 hours. And after it cooks for 24 hours, then you'll have a cholent. What I want to say is tonight I only have the raw ingredients. I don't have the chalent yet. It didn't cook yet. <laughs> I sat here for hours today researching the name of 42 with a thousand books. Not a thousand, but quite a lot. And I have a whole bunch of information, but I didn't yet uh, marinate in it. So, um, but it's good that we have the class at 8 o'clock, not like in the old days, in not in the old days, in the just little while ago when I did the class on Wednesday if I needed to if I needed it to marinate. Now, I'm, so we have to leave it up to Hashem, because I'm not gonna teach you from what I know, I'll teach you from what I don't know. And let's see what's gonna happen over here, how it's all gonna come together with the Eberster's health. Okay, so the Torah, this week in the second Torah portion, Parshas Masay, says, the Parsha begins, Ela Masay B'nei Yisrael, these are the Journeys of the Bnei Yisrael, as they left the land of Egypt, let's advise them to their armies. Beyad Moshe Aaron, under the, under the, I guess the auspices or the direction of Moshe and Aaron, who were leading the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. And then it goes ahead and says how Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down all of their going out to their journeys. Everywhere they left, Motzei means a place that they're leaving. They left to go out to their journeys. By, by the mouth of God. And these are their going out to their, their journeys to their going out. There's a lot of questions that everybody asks in these verses. 
But we're going to leave that for a moment. I just want to get a, a sense of what's happening. So what the Torah is describing is that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down the list of all the places they camped in. They were spent in the desert 40 years, uh, but they went to 42 places during this, during this whole period. From when they left Egypt, including the first journeys out of Egypt, is also included in the 42. So they weren't traveling that much. As Rashi says, there, were, there was a place that they were there for 19 years. Other places they spent quite a bit. Most of the journeys happened in the first year when they left Egypt, as they were going to many places. And, and, and the rest happened in the last year, at the end of the 40 years, they were like really moving on from place to place to place to place. During the, four, the 38 or 39 years, 38 years that they were held up in the desert because of the sin of the spies, they, they didn't move too much. They moved a little, but not too much. Now, and it goes on to describe the actual places that they were in. Obviously, the Torah is eternal, and the Torah has, is a life lesson. It's not just a history book to tell us about places that they went. Um, so we know um, a very, very powerful and great and important teaching. We'll soon see the source from the Holy Baal Shem Tov, that the 42 journeys and the encampments and the, the goings of the Jewish people is an ongoing, it's very personal, because the journeys of the Jewish people is something that every single Jew, every single person, each and every one of us in our lives go through these 42 journeys. The Torah speaks in general and specific. So the Klolis is the Klolis, it's the story of all of history. And the story of all the wanderings of Jewish history. And then the detail too. It's the story, the life of all the changes that take place in our lives. As we move through life, we go through various different stages. It's not, the information is not given to us to be able to detect and to know exactly when we're leaving one place and moving to another place. Although, after we step a little bit out in our lives and we take a look, we can kind of get a sense of when our lives changed and our focus changed and our environment changed and the people we're influencing changing. And obviously, it, it's connected. To have the exact 42 written by every person, uh, it's not possible. The one, the one journey we do is when we journey out of our mother's womb into this world. That's the first one, going out of Mitzrayim. Uh, being in the womb is called Egypt, and being born is going out of Mitzrayim. That's the one. But after that, exactly where it is, if you're moving from elementary school to high school, or when you were a kid, you moved from one city to another city, uh, it is connected, but we don't know exactly what, where, and when. You get to land a new job, uh, and so on and so forth. You accomplish certain things. Some people's lives, they're born in a town, in a little shtetl. They pass away after 120 in the same shtetl, and they never left. So where are the 42 journeys? But we take it as the Balshemtov says, it's the destiny of every Jew to make it through 42 journeys. So this is a very, very important Torah portion. Now the interesting thing is, it does always, it's always read during the three weeks, which the three weeks is associated with exile, because the three weeks is the time of the exile, which relates to the idea of the journeys, because as we spoke, there is the individual person and there's the Jewish people as a whole. So the Jewish people as a whole, we make it through a big journey, and that's primarily during the time of exile, when the Jews are in their homeland in the time of the redemption. So we're, we're as it's called, to the time of rest and the time of inheritance. We settle down, especially the future redemption, we're never gonna ever gonna leave. We're gonna be in Eretz Yisrael forever and ever. We're gonna be able to connect to God in the highest way without any interruptions, without any upheavals. So the main idea of actually traveling is the travels that happen during the trials and tribulations 
when the Jewish people are on the run. Obviously, we're on the run, not because just, God forbid, as because of punishment, but rather because of a major tikkun that needs to happen in the entire world. And that is, we need to spread God's name across the entire world and bring the entire world to a recognition of Hashem, and that's to bring Mashiach. In other words, the concept, I mentioned it by Shabbos, by the Kiddush, Eretz Yisrael Shetispashet Pachol Aratzis. We have to expand the borders of Israel um, across the entire world. One of the problems of, of Parshish Masay, it describes the borders of Israel. Now, if it's the parsha of the exile of the three weeks, why are you talking about the borders of Israel? We've gone away from Israel. And one of the explanations is, the reason there is an exile is because Israel has borders. Israel shouldn't have borders, because Israel should encompass the entire world. Not in halacha, and halacha there will always be a differentiation between Eretz Yisrael and the holiness of Eretz Yisrael will always exceed the holiness of other lands. I get a big mazel tov. Um, I received an email. I know you mentioned it to my wife as well, but I didn't see it from that. I just saw it on an email or on a WhatsApp. Someone sent, and that being that next year is Shemitah, and it's a big mitzvah to not work the land on Shemitah, and it's a mitzvah you have every moment. But that only if you're a farmer in Israel. If you're not a farmer, you can't do this mitzvah. So someone came up with this whole thing that they're selling land in Israel. You can purchase your land and it gets registered with the government. It's an official sale. It's done with, under the auspices of many rabbis who set up a whole system with lawyers and documents. So today I signed my documents and I, I actually purchased four cubits in the land of Eretz. I don't know yet where it is. They're supposed to send it to me because they say, they say that within 30 days from when you send I hope it's not a gimmick because I spent quite a bit of money on this thing. Um, to buy a, a four cubits. You don't have to buy four cubits, even one cubit. And now it's Yisrael, and it's kind of mine for the, for the year. After that, it's not gonna, it doesn't necessarily stay mine, but for the year, it's mine, for the year of Shemitah. And they fulfill the mitzvah of Shemitah, and it's as if you get to fulfill the mitzvah. So um, Eretz Yisrael is holy as a special sanctity, but the holiness on a more lighter way, if you could say Israelite, is something that needs to expand across the entire world. And that's the problem of Parshas Masai, that there are borders of Eretz Yisrael. We need to expand those borders and spread Israel across the entire world, which means we have to bring godly consciousness to the entire world and make that the entire world should be Eretz, should be running and racing and excited and driven to be Jewish in the sense to be connected to God. That means Eretz Yisrael from the word Rutz. In order to do that, we had to travel. Jews had to literally, there had to be a major, um, 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 a major uh, journey of the Jewish people ex uh, literally expanding throughout the entire globe in all directions. Uh, there is a migration, if you can call it, a migration of Jews across the entire planet. And there isn't a place in the world that Jews did not arrive in and did not do mitzvahs in, and did not study Torah in. And all this effect has a huge impact on the entire world. In, today's, in today itself, um, the, I don't have my phone with me right now, but the, I don't know if he's, I think he's the prime minister, the prime minister of one of the Yugoslavian or Slavic countries made a, gave a speech on their independence day. It's interesting that of that country is, I guess the independence day of their country is close to the Independence Day of the United States, maybe. I don't know if it was 
whatever. And he says, the Jews have managed something amazing. They have managed that the entire world should bow down to them. <laughs> so it reminds us what happened in the, in, the, in, the, in the White House, that the President Biden got down on his knees uh, for a, when he was awed by a Jewish woman who has 12 children. So I discussed this on one of the short videos that I sent out, uh, the awesomeness of it. I mean, he was not um, like, obviously things that, that kings or leaders or people that have positions of power do, it's, it's all being driven by higher forces that are much higher than their decision. And I don't think there was too much pre-planning um, um, pre in this. It was like kind of spontaneous. He, this woman came, she, she accompanied the president. She's, a, a, she's the manager of his office, manager of the office of the president of, the, of Israel, Ruvain Rivlin, and he came to visit, um, the, and he came to Washington, and he came to the, uh, visit the White House. And suddenly, his, his, this, this woman, she's a young woman, 45 years old, but she has 12 children. She's a mother of children, children and yet she runs this, the president's office. Uh, an amazing feat, and he was moved by it. And he got down on the floor, literally, and he kneels to her. Uh, it's, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy. There's a prophecy in Isaiah, which the prophecy says explicitly that kings will be, umnayach will be your father nurses and your wet, and, and, and noble women and princesses will be your, your wet nurses. Apayim They will bow down with their faces to the ground to you. Now we're not looking for people to bow down to us on the street. That's not the idea over here. The idea is what we represent. It's not us. It's what we represent. It's, it's the bowing to God that the entire world will bow down to God and that is through the Jewish influence. And that means that the bowing to the Jewish people. So this Yugoslavian president announced, he says, these Jews, could you believe what they've done? They've gotten the entire world to bow down. <laughs> now he's saying it in an anti-Semitic way, but you know, the anti-Semites usually get it, have a certain sense of reality because others are intimidated to say what to say, but he you know, says it as, as he believes, as he sees it. And he's right. It's just that he's seeing it, obviously, in not in the right light in a way that bothers him. If he just needs a little bit of an understanding that we're not, it's not about harming anybody, it's just about elevating all of humanity and the entire world. But this is all a result of the masse of the Jewish people, of the journey of the Jewish people. Now, as we go on this journey, which is, through, which is basically spreading over the entire globe to elevate, sublimate, and lift up all of the world, um, which is primarily done during the time of the exile, because when we're not in exile, we're, we're at home. So God had no choice but to kick us out of exile. Actually, there's an interesting statement from the Maral of Prague. Fascinating statement. The Maral of Prague, okay, 16th century sage, credible sage, states that the, the reason for the exile is known, he says. Who doesn't know the reason of the exile? We sinned. We didn't get along with each other. We did this, we did that, all kinds of sins. But the reason for the reason is not known. He said, oh, why did we sin? Like, why did that happen? And we're, 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 we're a godly people, we're a holy people, we're a wise people. Why did we sin and ruin it all? So basically he's hinting to it. It's a deep mystical reason why we sinned. There was no other choice but to sin. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't contradict free choice. We chose each and every, as the Rambam discusses, certain things are being driven by higher forces, and yet there is still free choice. But whatever it is, we sinned because we needed to sin. Why do we need to sin? Because we needed to get kicked out. Because if we wouldn't get kicked out, we wouldn't influence the entire world. 
Although there is a way to influence all of the humanity from headquarters, when we're not, but it's not such a thorough purification. In order for it to be the ultimate thorough purification, we really need to get into the kishkes of the, of the entire world. And to get into their kishkes means to get into their bowels, to get into their stomach, to get into their innards and fix the world, extract the sparks of holiness and elevate all of humanity to its holiness. We really need to go in bepinimius. And to go in bepinimius, which means in an internalized way, we really have to spread throughout the entire world. The good news is that the Rebbe said we finished already all this. We need to, obviously, you know, to speak about sparks of holiness that needs to be elevated, I mean, that's something that we don't see. So we believe the tzaddikim, we believe the righteous ones who tell us about these sparks, the mystics, they have it handed down that there is a certain amount of sparks of holiness that are scattered amongst the klipa and that it needs to be elevated. So we have to trust them also when they tell us that the job is done. It's done already, they said, and the world is ready. As you can see, if the president of the most mightiest country in the world bows down to a Jewish woman, which I don't want to go into it right now, but the woman represents kingship, the, the attribute of kingship, which is the divine kingship which we, uh, which we create in the world. And she has 12 sons, uh, 12 children, which 12 children represents Malchus, because Malchus has 12, 12 the whole flow of Malchus is into 12, the 12 hours of day, the 12 hours of night, the 12 months of the year, the 12 um, constellations. Everything is in a city, and the 12 tribes of Israel. These are all the way Malchus emanates. So when he hears about that and he bows down, this is incredible. And as we said, you know, even the anti-Semites screaming, hey, these guys getting the whole world to bow down to them. And it's true. So when the job is done, the world is sublimated. So this whole journey... The whole journey, which, which um, so this is very important because when we hear the news, sometimes we get depressed. We, 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 we're now when sometimes you know, see, it's these tiny little, the, 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 whatever, whatever reason it is, I can't necessarily explain it all, but whatever reason it is, where our attention is focused to the tiny little tidbits of darkness that are still floating in the air. It's tiny, and we don't see anything else. But the truth is, there is such brightness. If we just, it's amazing. If we just tiny bit looked like this, instead of where the eye is naturally drawn, we looked over here, we would faint from the holiness and godliness that's surrounding all of existence. It's just for whatever reason, our eyes are kind of drawn to the tiny little specks of darkness that are still there. Uh, and it's going to blow away. There's no real substance to it. There's no real energy to it. There's no real life to it. It's whatever klippa that's still there is empty, hollow klippa, although it makes a lot of chatter and a lot of noise, and it occupies the news, the newscasts all day long, and that's all we hear, but that shouldn't, God forbid in any way, take away from our understanding that we're mamish dear, because it's just that we're focused on the wrong thing. In any case, being that the main point of the journeys of the Jewish people is for this purification, for this elevation, for this rectification, um, that is the reason why we read Parshas Masay during the three weeks. Because the three weeks is when we, the Jewish people, were expelled from Israel and went on this journey. Now, the, the journeys of the Jewish people took place in the desert. And that is symbolic. Because when we, uh, um, the idea of the desert represents a wasteland. Represents a place that's not conducive for human life. So our journeys throughout all the countries for thousands of years is considered journeying through the wasteland. Even though some places have been really, really, really beautiful. Jews have lived in Spain and various places of Spain is very, very hospitable to human life. 
and in beautiful places in Italy and in France and in beautiful places in the United States and major magnificent cities and places. But what we mean is it's not on its own um, um, hospitable to godly life, to a holy life. Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, Eretz Yisrael, facilitates the dwelling of the Shekhinah, the Beis Amigdash. It produces, it, 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 it stimulates holiness, godly feelings. These countries that we went to, the natural inclination when you go into these places is, the, before we fixed it, is to, is to stimulate and to, to um, trigger klipa, unholiness. Because they were filled with snakes, scorpions, and like it describes the Midbar. The, the Midbar is a place full of nachash, sarav, akrav, snakes and, and serpents and scorpions. So spiritually that means all these places we've been through. It's just that we've gotten rid of the snakes and the scorpions and we've changed a lot. And that's why you have thriving centers of Torah and Judaism across the entire world. But that's not the way it was before all these clippers, before the snakes and scorpions were killed, as resembled and as seen in the Jewish people traveling in the desert. There was a, there was the, the, the point of the traveling in the desert was to confront the forces of unholiness that are represented in the desert. Now, in order to be able to defeat them, the Alter Rebbe says, we needed to have a massive, massive, massive army of holiness. The power of Kedusha had to be at its strongest. The power of holiness had to be in all of its might, in all of its power, in order for it to be able to, in order to defeat. Because here's the deal. Throughout the last 2,000 years when we were in exile, not primarily in this exile, it's called the, the exile of Esav, Edomi exile. It's not just this exile, there's the exile of uh, Bavel, the Babylonian exile, and, and there was the Greek exile, even though we were still in Eretz Yisrael, we were faced with a very dark force that we needed to defeat and ultimately transform. So it was the Greek exile, all the different exiles that there are all about the same thing. It's about confronting darkness and breaking the darkness and extracting the good potential that's in it and transforming it to holiness. That's the idea of it. Um, but in the last 2,000 years is the major, major exile. Now, we are confronting the branches of the klipa. The root of the klipa, we would not be able to defeat as, as individual souls or even as communities, even as powerful communities of having a major center of, let's say, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 Jews living in Poland. We would not... or a half a million Jews living in Poland, with all the yeshivas and all the shuls and all the great tzaddikim, we would not have the ability to be able to break the klippa if the klippa had not been broken already in the past. For that reason, we needed the first troops, the most powerful of the Jewish people, which were the 600,000 souls who went out of Egypt. They were the super mega souls. And they marched in the desert, not just themselves, but they went with Moshe and Aaron. So you have the two powerful leaders, Moshe and Aaron, the 70 Zakanim, which is the 70 rabbis, the greatest of the great, and, Mo, and, 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 and the 600,000 souls, which we know we are just tiny little sparks of their souls. These are the, these are the root souls of the Jewish people. As it says that those 600,000 are, are the source, each soul splits into 600,000. And maybe even each of those split into another 600,000. I'm not sure how many times it goes. 
But we realize that they, however, were the super souls. So you realize the, the, that entourage and those troops were so magnificently powerful. In addition to that, they had the pillar of the Shekhinah going with them and the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and the, 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 the Aron, and, you know, the Ark, and the Luchos. And all this was traveling. Was, this was, they were waging war. And as we see that when they, whenever they would leave, they would announce, when the, when the Aron would travel, Moshe, Moshe would announce, Kuma Hashem, get up God, may your enemies be scattered. And the question is, what enemies? Which enemies? They were in a wilderness. No one was there. They weren't fighting anybody. So Rashi says snakes and scorpions. So they actually kill these snakes and scorpions. Fine. And enemies. Who are these enemies? So we know it's spiritually. Because in the wilderness, that was the headquarters of Klippa spiritually. In other words, the real powerful forces of darkness that have been here from the beginning of creation, that have been, been, been um, nurtured and stuffed with energy as a result of the sins of Adam and Eve and then later the sins of the ten generations and the second pair of ten generations and Sodom and Amorah and then all the sins of all the generations, we know, give the klippa a lot of energy. And they, so they were like massively powerful. That's why we find whenever we do confront them in those days, we have the giants, Sichon and Og, and the big giants who lived in the land of Canaan, and these mighty nations. Their real spiritual power was in the desert. So when we went, even though they weren't in physical bodies, so when this powerful movement of the Jewish people moving through the desert, we're literally killing and destroying these forces. What's left over for the Jewish people to do over the thousands of years of exile is just the remnants, the little pieces, the shards, if you can see, the little leftovers, the branches of these klippas, which are branched off in the 70 nations. <coughs> Had we not dealt with it then, we would never have been able to deal with it later. So it was a powerful, devastating blow to the unholy. And it weakened the darkness in the world. And that's what the Orachayim, amazing piece, the Orachayim this week, um, explained. Let me read it. Let me read the word. The Jews traveling with Kedusha was to elevate sparks of holiness. The, the, the wicked person, which represents the Sitra Achra, the other side, has taken by force. And he dwells in the Hashamim, in the, in the empty wilderness. Over there is where he sets up his camp. And that's why it has snakes and serpents. And, 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 um, and the reason why physically um, you have snakes and scorpions and, and these other poisonous creatures there is because spiritually it's a space of, 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 of wicked stuff, of demons and the like. And they went there in order to take, and that's why he says, the Jewish people had no idea why in certain places they stayed for 19 years, and in another place they stayed for six months, another place a year, another place they were there just for one day, and that's it. Some place they only spent the night, and then they moved. But every place they came, they had to set up the whole Mishkan. Why? 
because it was only when they came and they camped and they were there, they finished the tikkun and they destroyed whatever klipas were there at that spot. So I saw something very, very special from Ramaftali of Rupshitz and Sefer Zerah Kodesh and the great Hasidic masters. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu asked Yisro, also in Parshas Baaloscha, when it's talking about the journey, he says to Yisro, don't leave, stay with us. Don't leave. Ki alken yodaito, because you know chanoiseinu bamidbar. You know our, our campings in the midbar. Vayisolonu le'enayim. You're going to be to us for, uh, as an eye. Simple meaning us. You know how special it is when we're... Yisro wanted to go back home. Yisro is, is Moshe's father-in-law, right? He wanted to go back home. Moshe says, stay with us. You know how it is special. You know how miraculous our dwellings are in the midbar. And you also give us good advice. You're going to be for to us as eyes. You're going to illuminate. Because Yisra was the one who gave them the advice of how to set up a, a courts and so forth. What's the, what's, what is he really saying? So the Zerah, the Rapshitz says, I just, it's so, it was so exciting to see this. And he says that Yisra, we know, was the one who served every idol in the world. So really, what was he? He was a powerful sorcerer. Yisro was like, he was up to par with Bilam. They were the three advisors of Pharaoh. What do you think Pharaoh had over there? He's got the super mega clipper that were with him. It was Yisro, Bilam, and Eov, and Job. These were his three advisors. And Bilam, we know how powerful he was of the unholy. Yisro also. That's why the sages say, there wasn't even one Avodazara that he didn't serve. Now, what was he? Was he a silly guy running around with, 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 with these ridiculous uh, gechkalach, you know, these diri diri little uh, idols? He knew the powers of the unholy. He knew every force of darkness that's in the world. He knew it intimately. Every kind of sorcery, every kind of power of klipa, he knew. And that's why when he announced, the Zohar says that was the, one of the greatest announcements ever. And that allowed for the Torah to be given. Because when the klipa acknowledges Kedusha and surrenders to Kedusha, I think it was something an enormous when Biden got down on the floor and entered this. I, I, I'm seeing it as something cosmic. I don't know why. I mean, we should really make a kiddush in every shul and all that. But um, sadly or regretfully, most Jews are maybe not so mystical to look at these things and see them. Okay, so, uh, yeah. It was a gesture of niceness. It's no gesture of niceness. It's a super. Awesome. He's talking about the man whose, whose signature is the most powerful signature in the entire world, who is the king of Edom, if you can say today's days, is now bowed down to, the, to a Jewish woman. It's like, it's, it's, it's up on par on the announcement of Jerusalem a couple of years ago. This is huge. And these events are happening just to show us that this... So here Yisro makes this announcement that God is greater than all the God. Means he recognized the nothingness of all klipas in front of holiness. And only after he did that, the Torah was given. So the Ramaftali the, 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 of Rapshit says, so Moshe Rabbeinu says to him, because you're Mr. Klippa guy, so you know exactly how the Klippas derive energy. So you know exactly in the 42 camps, every place they went, there are every place had certain powers of Klippa deriving energy from holiness through a different type of darkness or a different type of... of, of, of uh, and these are all the, these are all the pow powers of Toikefa Klippa, of the power of Klippa, of how they're taking energy. We don't know it, you know. And he calls it Chanoi Seinu, our dwellings. Why? 
because these sparks really are sparks of holiness. So it's called our dwellings, our encampments. You know where our sparks are. You're going to be able to be to us for an eye to show us exactly when we come in a place to know exactly what the avoda needs to be in this place in order to crack the klipa and get to the end. Because you come from that world. You know the, the energies. So we'll, we'll get the information not only from holiness, we'll get the information from the other side as well. So we'll, it's like having a spy, you know, like from, from them giving us the info of where the, where, where the money is, where it's stashed and which safe and how, what the, and what the combination is to open up in all these places to extract those sparks. That's what he says, says to him. And you, you see an interesting thing. The Jewish people went, we're going to get to that, I'm really jumping a little ahead, but um, 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 the Jewish people traveled 42 42 journeys because the ab ability to extract and to break the klipa and to elevate sparks of holiness and ultimately all the sparks of holiness is connected to a mystical name of God associated with the name, it's called the name of 42, Shem Membez, um, which, which the whole Shia was supposed to be just a, a talk on the Shem Membez. Let's see when we're going to get to that, but okay. Now, we find that Bilam, just to show you this idea, how these are 42 points, Everything that is in the holy has a counter, unholy. So Bilam, a few weeks ago, we read how he went up to a mountain and he, offered, and, he tell, and he wants to curse the Jewish people. So he tells Balak, build for me seven mizbeachs and prepare for me, in each place he said, seven, seven, seven uh, cows and seven rams. And then it says, Vayal por va'ayel ba'mizbeach. And he offered a, a cow and a ram on the altar. So if he, on, that means on every altar, he offered a cow and a ram. So seven altars, each one a cow and a ram. So it's seven times two, it's 14. And he does it in three places. First he tried to curse them from one place, then he says, I'll take you to another place. And then he takes them to a third place. In each place it says, prepare for me seven altars, seven cows and seven... Because three times, because, so it's, each place it's 14, three times 14 is 42. And as Bilam, you see, was, was, was evoking these 42 powers of Klippa trying to nurture from holiness. But it doesn't work, for Klippa didn't work. And was, the power of Membez, of Kedusha, overpowered, as we said, you know, he says to Yisro, come, you lead us here in this, in this expedition. You're going to be to us for eyes so we can figure it all out. Now, um, once we're on that topic... So it's interesting, how did the Avodah actually take place? So it wasn't just, it was traveling. They traveled. And I'm going to go back to the Arachayim. So the Arachayim says, just by traveling there, such powers of holiness, no one can extract from the Klippa. It's too powerful. Zulas Kedusha Hashlema, only if you have the entire structure of holiness. And as you need to have holiness in its full kaboom. You can't have individual powers. You need the entire structure. You need to have a general machberes attachment of all levels of holiness in general and individually. So Kedusha Sashlema, who Ashkina, so what is your list? The Shechina, the Yisrael, and the Jewish people, the Torah and the Torah. And individually, he says 600,000 Nishamas. And Moshe Rabbeinu, 
because Moshe is also all the Jewish people. So you had Moshe as well, because he's like a tree, he says, which all the branches come out. All the 600,000 are rooted in him. So by him coming along with them, this had that power. And with, and with the air, okay. And therefore, um, that's why he says an interesting, that's why he, <laughs> he says, that's why the Pasuk begins, Ele Mase B'nei Yisrael. Ele, whenever it says the word Ele, Ele means these are. And whenever it says, that the sages say, whenever it says these, it comes to reject other things. This and not something else. Ele poisel esarishonos. These is posel. It, 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 it negates. It disqualifies the others. He says, what does it come to disqualify over here? These are the journeys. He says, basically, there is no other journey like this journey. This journey was the epic journey. Because this was the only journey that had such power to be able to, to wreak havoc on the klipa and devastate them completely. He says, Because we never had such a journey where you have the entire... You had in the Beis Hamikdash was greater than in the desert. But there it was in one place. The holiness in the, in the Beis Hamikdash, Shalash Regalim, all the Jewish people coming up, Shlomo Melech. Yeah, you had such a level of holiness. But in terms of a journey, you've never had a journey of this entire entourage of holiness going out to war in such a powerful way. Now, um, um, how was the work actually done? As mentioned, each place has its own secret. Each place has its own spiritual potential covered with klipa. That's why we find that there were certain places that the Jewish people came to and they sinned. Various different, they came to a place and it was, and the, one of the names of the place is Kivros Hataiva. Kivros Hataiva means they buried those that were lusting. Because we know there was a story that the Jewish people, they were the Mas'avim, they were, they were lusting for meat or whatever. And, and the Maravim died and they had to bury all those people by the complainers. So the area, the place was called Kivroi Sataiva, the place of God. And then there was another place called Risma. Risma is a place where they spoke Lashon Hara, right? Risma comes from Lashon Hara, Gachle Risamim. Risma is a place of Lashon Hara. Then they come to a place called Kehilasa, where they ganged up against Moshe. And then they have different places. So there are places which indicate sin. Why? Because again, you're going into a very dangerous territory. And when you're going into a very dangerous territory, the area itself communicates. The area communicates. It's an interesting thing. We have to realize that. People think you travel, and you travel. You gotta be very sensitive when you travel. When you come to a place, there is communication, subconscious communication that's coming from the soil. I spoke about it on Shabbos. The soil communicates. The very earth is different in different places. The boundaries of a different country, of a different authority, has a different energy, and the energy communicates. Now really, the root of it, the spark of holiness in each place is a unique spark that has a unique potential for serving God in a unique manner. For example, the uh, Kedushas Levi. Again, I did, a, I did quite a bit of a research on this subject today because I was trying to pull out this whole, this whole concept. 
and there's actually much too much in my head to share with you, but the Kedushas Levi, the Holy Rebbe Levi, Yitzhak Gabraditchev, says that, um, for example, he says they came to a place, he talks on the good side of things. He says they came to a place called Harada. One of the places, one of the 42 camps called Harada. Harada means trembling. In the unholy, it means when that's a place that causes, causes anxiety. It has a negative anxiety, fears, stress, and anxiety, mainly fear and anxiety. But the real soul of it is to tremble in awe before God. So if the Jews went into that place and they weren't careful, they were suddenly stricken by anxieties and fears. And they were nervous about their life and about conquering Eretz Yisrael, insecure with themselves, insecure that they could be successful, all these things. But had, if they served God and they penetrated the soul of it, then they, they accessed the spark. They served God with this anxiousness, but not an anxiousness that's negative, but a, a, a good anxious. The holy anxiousness is fear of God. And by doing that, they elevated it. There's another place called Miska, which means sweet, Metuka, sweet. So what do you think, Rebbe Yitzhak says, what's that place called Miska? What does that mean? Ooh, that's a place of sweetness. You come there, everything feels so sweet. And suddenly you're, you, have a, you have a sweet tooth and you're craving, you're craving, uh, you know, you're craving uh, dessert. You want ice cream. You want everything that's, that's, that, that it speaks to. It's evoking the taiva for sweetness. So really what's at the root of it? The root of it is love. It's craving for delights, for pleasures, for things that, that are sweet. So the kalipa is presenting to you sweet stuff. But when the person is, 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 is penetrating into the soul, it's serving God with love and experiencing the sweetness of the divine that's buried in that place. So actually, every single place, it wasn't, it wasn't just walking through an area. It was a psychological adaptation. In every single place they came to, they needed to psychologically adapt to the energy of the place, and I guess they needed to add Moshe, Aaron, and the greatest of tzaddikim with them, and the Mishkan, to assist them to be able to know the unique, on the, the, unique, the unique opportunity. So you can call it a challenge, or you can call it opportunity. And, it's, and, it's, and, and, and therefore, the Baal Shem Tov says, it's to each and every one of us in our lives. The situation is this way. You go to a certain place, you move to a certain state, and suddenly you start feeling certain feelings. Again, you can feel in a certain place anxiety. Certain places you feel lusts and wants for certain things. You're not realizing, hey, what do you think? There's a bunch of snakes in this area. And because I haven't been a Jew around there in a long time, so when you, when you finally arrive, guess what? They're happy because they need to get some energy. So they say, here's the guy. So suddenly you suddenly are in your hotel room and experiencing desire for something that's not so kosher. What's going on? It's actually something that's there in that place that's waiting for a Jew to siphon out of you. But the very fact that you're feeling that taiva or that whatever it is over there is because over here lies a powerful potential of serving God and an ability to be able to connect to an energy of the love of Hashem. And that's what they did in these 42 chapters. He said every single place. So the, the Degel Machna Ephraim, Rabbi Ephraim Sadal Kover, the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, says that 
that that's that the places that they sinned, like for example, Kivroi Sataiva, where they all went until fell into lust. He says that's not really what the spark is all about. The real spark that's in Kivrei Sataiva is that over here you can reach a level of dveikus in God that you lose all taiva. You bury every taiva. Imagine, a person has taiva. Taiva means lust and desires to all kinds of stuff. Over here lies an ability to reach such spiritual heights that you're so connected to God that you don't feel any urge that's physical and earthy. A state of the highest level of dveikus. That's what the Baal Shem Tov says. A state of chachma, koyachma. That's what he says. Kivras atayva chachma, koyachma. The power of total identification with God, assimilation into God, and that every other, anything that's not God loses all meaning. That's the potential. But if you're not tuning into that, then, again, the place is burying taiva. So either you can bury the taiva, or the taiva can bury you. You see what's going on over here? <laughs> it's either kivroi sataiva, which means you swallow the taiva, and there's no more taiva, or the taiva, which means the lusts, swallow the person. And that's to be determined. And that's why the Balshemtan says, in the Pasuk it says, Ela Masei B'nei Yisrael, these are the, Vayichtoiv Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu was writing down their journeys. So Moshe wrote, Es Moitzeem L'maseem, Al Pi Hashem. Moshe wrote, according to the Baal Shem Tov, means he's writing each, every place that they left Limaseem to their journey, Alpi Hashem, based on the godly intent. Or as Moshe is writing, when Moshe wrote down the 42 campments, he's writing these journeys as it was from God's perspective, why God wants the person to go into that place in order to access a treasure. Then it says, Ve'elemaseem, but they didn't always travel in the same way like Moshe intended them to travel. In other words, he explains that there was actually two, two travels taking place. There was the godly intent in the travel, and that's Alpi Hashem, that's by the word of God. But then sometimes the human being is not tuning into that. And the person goes and travels, and for whatever they own travel, for their own purpose. And then God forbid, then it's a whole different story. Let's interpret that into our experiences. Wherever you end up, wherever you go, every person you meet, every object you come into counter with, every, every, every circumstance in a person's life is divinely orchestrated. God directs the footsteps of man every moment, where, what, where, and when, and everything is an incredible opportunity. There isn't a moment that's not an awesome opportunity. That's Al Hashem. That's the way God is writing it. Now what the person does it, See, if you wake up in the morning and you say, Modani Bekavana, you know, I, I acknowledge God, you're giving me life, and you set your orientation for the entire day to be, this is a day that God is going to lead my footsteps. And I know wherever I come, there is a godly interest. What does God want over here? Then you're tuning in to what Moshe Rabbeinu was writing. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu writes your 42 journeys, and you can tune into that journey. Or you can go to the very same places and, it be, and it's your journey. And if it's your own journey and it's not Moshe Rabbeinu's journey, which means it's not based on the intent that God has, then quite on the contrary. Then many of these places end up being pitfalls and falls, which ultimately also lead to tshuva at the end. But the idea is that there is the, there is the way the Eberster wants it to be and the way it needs to be. 
So that's the, the concept. And as it is again in the Jewish people during those 42 journeys, the same it is with the Jewish people in course of history. Every era in history and every country and in every place that, we, that we've gone into has its particular, both Yetzirah, uh, everything is a confrontation, is a, is a dual existence of both Yetzirah, of challenge and difficulty that only presents itself now in this scenario, in this place, in this, in this situation, but also embedded in that very thing is the ability to crack the klipa open and extract the energy and use it to the service of Hashem. So now let's go back to Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev. And he says, that's why when were they, uh, it's the, such, a, such a, you know, it's such a beautiful piece to the puzzle. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev says, when were they traveling? When they were traveling, the Mishkan, he says, was disassembled. At the time of the travels, the Mishkan was not together. They disassembled the Mishkan. When they came to a place where they camped, they set up the Mishkan. So he says, what's the idea of when they were... We said before they needed the power of holiness, so shouldn't they carry a standing Mishkan? No, they disassembled the Mishkan when they traveled. When they got to a place, they set it up. So he says like this, the main extraction happened in their journeys, while they were journeying. For that, he says, you need to disassemble. Because I'll put it this way. How do you elevate? What are you elevating? So the way he explains it is you're, you're, you're encountering an energy. Now the energy is still undefined. It's, a, it's an energy of love. That energy could, God forbid, be channeled and set and formulated and take on a form of unholy. That means if you feel suddenly love and you direct that love into an unholy action, into an unholy experience, and that's when you're creating an edifice, you're creating a keli, a vessel, for that energy in an unholy way. Or you can set up a mishkan. And you're setting up a mishkan with the, with the fresh new energy. So here's the thing. When the Jewish people traveled in the desert, and, they, and the Levium are carrying the mishkan, and they're setting up camp in each place, every place they set it up, it's not the same mishkan. It's with energies that they picked up, different emotions, different experience that they experienced in these 42 journeys. Each place had its own energy. Now, at the time when you're extracting the energy itself, you're not fixed. It's not fixed into anything. It's just a recognition that every single thing that exists in the world exists for holiness. And it originates in holiness. And the fact that it manifests in an unholy way that's a perversion of energy. It's a perversion of godly energy. So the first thing that needs to do is you need to disassemble the Mishkan. So you're going back to a state of potential. You're moving through the desert and you're collecting the energy that's on that particular trail. For those who watch my daily videos see that I'm going on a lot of trails, right? So every trail has its own. It's funny because... It, I, I most of the time don't have any idea what I'm going to say. And on the trail, I suddenly have a thought. And when I get to the place, I say, when I, if I go with my daughter or anybody to film, I say, so are, are we doing a video today? I say, yeah. And, and where did it come to me? On the hill. <laughs> it almost feels like that the concepts and the ideas are on the trails. And when you walk on them and when you go in them, and it's really good because Hollywood trails were not necessarily not always used for, for brainstorming holy things. So when, I, when you go on them and then suddenly you have this, 
inspiration of an idea and then you put it in. I, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's, I feel like it's an energy coming from this place and, and being. So here's the thing, while you travel, that's when you collect the energy and, you, and that's when you're doing the meditation that everything is to serve God. Then when you get and you go ahead and you take that energy and you actually do a mitzvah with that energy, then you set up the mishkan with that energy then you're putting it into a keli, you're putting it into a vessel. That's the reason why when they were traveling, they were traveling with a disassembled mishkan, because that represents emotions before they're fixed and developed and put into any, similar to what we were learning on the Thursday night cheer about burning the cow down to ash. You're, 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 you're stripping away the definitions, you're leaving the pure desire as it is without it. You, you, you're extracting the energy from the container. Here, you're putting the energy into holy containers, and that's when you're setting up the Mishkan. That's how he explains it. Setting up the Mishkan is putting the energy into good containers. And so think about this every single time in our lives, wherever we are, as we walk the streets, as we go to places, as we meet people, as we, all of our encounters, this is all the time when we're wandering, we're picking up energies, we're picking up the Wi-Fi. Literally, in today's days, it's so easy to see it, that, you know, people, this guy has a Wi-Fi on his phone and so on, and, and then you can, or you can like, or from this place or that place, there's an open circuit, you can tune into that, to that Wi-Fi signal. Every single person's got this energy. And when we're walking next to people, we walk down the street, we're being influenced even if we had no conversation at all. And these are energies, and the reason they're being fed to us, like it's known by tzaddikim, tzaddikim say your thoughts, tzad thoughts of tzaddikim, big tzaddikim especially, they used to, you know, they, 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 they pick up in people's thoughts, the thoughts of other people go into them so that they can elevate those thoughts. The, 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 the plain speech. But I think it's, it's, the Alter Rebbe says we shouldn't consciously be involved in this. He says we should just be busy serving God simply and doing what we need to do because it's only meant for tzaddikim. But even if it's only meant for tzaddikim to engage in this type of a service of picking up emotions, um, but that's in, in, a, in a conscious, deliberate way. But we have to be aware that we're constantly trading energy with every person and every place and every home and every building we go into. Everything is crafted with different energies. Everything is made with different, with different, with different forces. We're constantly interacting with these energies. They create within us certain moods, certain drives, and when we immediate, and when we set ourselves up to create mishkans with that energy, we're we're we're, we're doing what they did. It's the elevation of all these sparks. That's why the word, the opening word of masay, is ele. Ele masay. These are the masay. Ele is aleph lamed hey, which spells the word, which is gematria thirty six. Because the primary emotions that there are, how many emotions are there? There are six primary emotions. Six times six is 36. The point of Masei B'nai Yisrael, the point of the journeys of the Jewish people, is for what purpose? For Eilat, the rectification of the 36. The six times six. We journey around the world to rectify, elevate, to sublimate, to sublimate the 36. Ele Masei B'nai Yisrael. It's the 36 that need to be elevated. Um, just give me... And how, do we, and how do we elevate it? 
I think I just want to see who who said the vart of Ela. Give me a second. I saw so many. Uh, hold on over here. Ela's thirty six. Yeah. So that's from the Bnei Sashar in Sefer Agri the Kala. He says that Ela's Gematria thirty six, which is the Halas Hamidos. It's all about the Allah Hamidos. So the Masse, all journeys that we have in our life, is all about these Ela, about the thirty six that need to be elevated. Now. Um, Take that further. If you take the gematria of the word Ele Masse Bene, okay, those first three words, Ele Masse Bene. So the gematria of that is 278. Ele Masse, you can do the math, I did it already. Ele Masse Bene, not Yisrael, Ele Masse Bene, gematria 276. Add to it the ten letters in Ela Masse Bene. Ela has three letters. Bene has three, is six. Masse has four. So it's another ten. 278 plus ten is 288. Ela Masse Bene Yisrael. These are the Masse, the travels of the Jewish people, is to elevate the 288 sparks. The 288 sparks are related to the six Midot. How, why the sparks of holiness? Because there are six emotions of God, the supernal emotions of the world of Tohu, of the world of chaos, that exploded. These sparks went over. Ele Masse Bene is 278, plus the 10 letters, 288. Over here is hinted the journey of the Jewish people is to lift up the 288. Now let's take a look at, and where do we lift, and that comes from, who that comes from? That teaching comes from Rabbi Yaakov Abichatzerah, in the Sefer Machsof Halavan, where he says, Ele Masse Bene, the gematria of it equals with the accounting of the letters, 288, because the journeys are for these 288 sparks. Now, where do we find these sparks? In the desert. What's our desert? The Golas. The Golas is the desert. The exile is the time of the. So, um, let's. Ele. Masse B'nai Yisrael. What are the first few letters in Ela Masse B'nai Yisrael? Ela starts with an Aleph. Masse is a Mem. B'nai is a Beis. Yisrael is a Yud. So what does that hint to? Says the Megala Amukais. Great Kabbalist who reveals incredible secrets. Aleph is Edom. Mem is Madai, that's Persia and Madai. Edom is our current exile. And then Paras and Madai, Madai is, this, is, is the other exile. Yud, Ela Masse, Bnei, Beis is Bavel. Yisrael, the Yud, is Yavan. These are the four exiles. In other words, where are these sparks buried that the Jewish people are going to have to gather them from? From Edom, Bavel, Madai, and Yavan, which, by the way, connect to the four rivers that go out of Gan Eden. Umisham Yipare, that says from, from the Gan Eden, what's the rivers? The rivers is the flow of godly flow. Until Gan Eden, everything is still unified in oneness. After it goes out of the garden, Misham Yipare, it goes into Pirud, into separation. And that is the Klippa, and that is all the unholiness. And in order to fix those four rivers... We have to go, what do you do in a river? You go gold mining. You mine for gold in the rivers. So we go down the rivers. These are the four exiles. 
and we mine for the gold that's in those rivers. And that's the time of the exile where it's Elemase Bene Yisrael. How? What's the energy that we use in order to break the clippers and elevate the sparks? The energy that is used in order to break the clippers and elevate the sparks is the name of 42. Shem Membez. That's why it's 42 journeys. And this idea actually goes back. It's not like a, that, there is a, that there is a name of Hashem that is hinted to in these 42 journeys. And it was by the energy of that name of Membez that the Jews is already recorded. Now, I don't, it might even have an earlier source. But the source that I found that I think is the one, one of the earliest is Sefer Tzror Hamor. He was, his name was, I think, Rebbe Avram, I'll tell you his name, give me a second, Avram Sela, I think. He was one of the Jews who felt this very strongly. He was one of these, those that were in 1492, was expelled from Spain. So he's writing this ten, eight years after, he's writing eight years after the Spanish um, expulsion from Spain. So 1492, he's writing it in the year 1500. And he's writing, I'll tell you who his name. His name is uh, Rabbi Avram Seba. Okay? So he writes in his Sefer, just very powerful words. He writes, And because there are in these 24, 42 travels, something very great, in the secret of our Geula. So there's something about our redemption. Therefore it says, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it, Al Pi Hashem. What does it mean, Al Pi Hashem? Al Pi Hashem means, the base of the mouth of God, means with God's name, of the name of 42. It wasn't just 42 random travels. They were 42 travels based on the name of 42. Al Pi Hashem. They were written according to God's name, V'shem Hashem bom ramuz behem, and the name of God is hinted to in it. Okay. And therefore he goes on and he says, that the reason God writes, the Torah writes all these things, is how much Hashem is empathizing with the trials and tribulations of the Jewish people in the 42 travels in the Midbar, God is, it is so, is so, feels it so deeply, that, they, that it wasn't, wasn't easy. So he says, if that's the case then, when there were 42 journeys, he says, take a look how many journeys we did in the last eight years. He says, much more than 42 when we were running from Spain. It's a very interesting write-up. He's speaking all about himself and his journeys. And they were running and all the trials and tribulations that they had when they went out. It's much more. So definitely, all this is marked up there in heaven as the, old, as the journeys of the Jewish people. But he says in the midst of this whole thing that there's a great secret of the Geula. What's the secret? The secret of the Geula is, is that through the name of 42, that's the name of God that, that we use to extract and elevate sparks of holiness. That's the name of Hashem that destroys the klippa as well. When the Rabbeinu Bachaya writes, when Moshe Rabbeinu killed the Mitzri, and uh, the Jews the next day said to him, Halor Geinu Ato Omer, do you want to kill us the way? 
the way you killed the Egyptian yesterday, the two Jews who were fighting, and they told Moshe, do you want to kill us like you killed him? And they used the term, Omer. do you want to say like you said yesterday? They said, we heard you. Which Moshe pronounced God's name. Which name? The name of 42. Because the name of 42 is a powerful name to decimate and break the klippas. That's why we say it every day in the morning before we pray. We don't want to be interfered with any klippa bothering us during davening. So we actually fire off a couple of missiles right at the beginning by anavachayach, kedula semincha, bang, bang, bang. In the anavachayach, we'll soon see in a moment, is hinted to the 40, the name, it, it is actually the first letters of anavachayach spell out the name of 42. Where else do we find the Tzemach Tzedek Osori? Tzemach Tzedek is the one who brings this idea that the, the Rabbeinu Bechaya, that Moshe Rabbeinu killed with the name of 42. And he also says that um, in Sefer Malachim Beis, Kings 2, Chapter 2, Elisha, right after Leo Anavi goes up to heaven, Elisha is a student, and Elisha does some kind of a miracle. And then he's he heals the water or something. It was, uh, and then he's coming back, and he goes up to Bet to Bethel, and suddenly kids come out and they start harassing him. Boys, that's what it says. Boys come out, they started harassing him. I don't know who these boys are, but they must have been really, really, really uh, not of the best. And they, were, and they were yelling out to him, there goes, get out of here, Baldy, get out of here. They were making, calling him a Baldy. And they, now obviously, he didn't take offense from the physical. He probably looked at them and saw these were nasty clippers. And he cursed them with a name. Two bears came out and killed 42 of them. That's a pasuk. 42 of the children were killed by two bears that came out of the forest. Which name did he use? The name of 42. And the clipper, I guess these were 42 head clippers that he, that he broke and he shattered. But again, the concept, 42 is a name of God, associate. Now 42 is a name of Hashem associated with the reason why it's so powerful to break the clipper and extract sparks of holiness and elevate sparks is because the name of 42 is a name associated with Gevura. There's Chesed, there's Gevura. The name of 42 is the name of Gevura. The Rebbe's father says an interesting thing, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak. He says that Kapitel Mem Beis in Tehillim, chapter 42 in Tehillim, since it's 42. So sometimes we think, is there any significance in 42? So today, I, by the way, just is totally parenthetical. There's nothing that's just random. Nothing random. Today, we had the yard site of a very special young man who the shul is um, in his name, Pinchas Ali Melech ben Abshleim Usher. And uh, it, it, today's his 19th yard site. So I spoke in the morning, we had a little breakfast over here, and I spoke, and I, decided, I was thinking about 19. And I'm, I, I, obviously because of COVID-19, I've been doing a lot of research on the number 19. And I, and I was talking about the idea that Chava is Gematria 19. And Chava, because I was talking about the idea that, that it's the woman that makes Tchia Samesim happen. It's women who make the resurrection take place. Because the women represent the physical. Malchus represents the physical. Um, the, um, the, 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 if it would be a masculine realm, then the energy would be in heaven. 
since it's all since it's since since the in God, the feminine element is stronger than the, than the masculine. The Shekhinah, it runs deeper than all the masculine spheros. As we know, Eshaz Chayel Ater is Baila. So therefore, the women triumph and, and, and ultimate godliness is here in the vessels, not outside of the vessels. What's the difference between masculine and feminine? Masculine is energy, feminine is vessels, containers. Containers win the battle. And that's why ultimately all energy, all the neshamas that are in Gan Eden's swarming in lights have to go back into containers, into vessels. The woman is the house. A woman is the house. So it occurred to me while I was saying that, it has to be, it was so cool, you know, it was cool. Because I had no basis to it, but I got a hunch. I love when that happens. I got a hunch that when God says, make for me a home in this world, which is Parshas Teruma, it's got to be the 19th parsha. And I said, oh, let me check this out. So I read Bereshis, I went through all of them. Bingo! 19th parsha. Because parsha's Teruma from the beginning of the Torah. Why? Because the woman is number 19, Chava. She's the one that make, brings God down here. That's with, and Hasidus, which is a very feminine-oriented, Hasidic takes all of Judaism and turns it over into that dimension that it's all about the home to bring God into the physical data, number 19. So if that's true in Chumash, every parsha, the number parsha than it is has deep secrets, it also has to be in Tehillim as well. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak says, Membez, capital Membez, which is the name, which Membez is the name of Gvura. The, the parak starts with Lam Natseach, Maskil Livnei Korah. Lam natseach maskil livnei korach. Ah, so who? Korach and the, is a levi. And the Levites are on the left side. Kohanim on the right side. The Leviim are on the left side. The energy of Gevura. That's the Leviim. That's why they sing <coughs> fervor, fire, passion. The opposite of Kohanim. Kohanim is all about a flow of energy going downward. The Leviim are a rising energy, which is the power of Gevura. That's why Korah had issues with Machlokes, because Gevura, that's what causes Machlokes. It's, it, it, that's his challenge. Gevura could be used in a good way. Gevura can also cause fights. So, so, but but Kaperek Membez starts with Lama Tzeich Maska Livnei Korah. And Tehillim has five books. And the five books of Tehillim correspond to Chesed, Gevura, Teferes, Netzach, Hod. Five books of Tehillim. Sefer Shani, the second Sefer of Tehillim, which is, by the way, a very long one. For those who say Tehillim, let's say Shabbos Mavorchim, we got to say the whole Tehillim, Minik Chabad. It's like the time you get to finish the first one and the second one. They're so long. Afterwards, there's shorter, shorter, shorter um, um, thing. But the first two are really long. It goes to Membez. Why? Because Membez is Gevura. That's why Perek Membez, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak says, starts the second section, which is Gevura. Now, by the way, it connects another thing. Since in Parshas Masse, this is great. In Parshas Masse, what do we have? The 42 journeys. It's all, and it's also a time of Gevura. The Bainam Tsarim, the three weeks, is a time of judgment. It's a time of Gevura. It's a time of Din. So in, in there, we read the 42 journeys. Right? But you have another 42 in this week's Parsha. In, in Parshas Masse, the Ebershter tells Moshe Rabbeinu to set aside the Ir Miklat. Cities for refuge, where, the, where, where, where someone kills someone by accident, he has to run to the city. So there are six cities of refuge, 
But in addition to that, there are the 42 cities of the Levian. The 42 cities of the Levian are also cities of refuge. So first of all, he says, if someone kills someone, that's an act of Gevura. It's a negative act of Gevura, killing someone. Where does he have to go hang out with? By the Levian. Because the Levian are rectified Gevura. They're Gevura in the good, in the good. They're holy Gevura. How many cities do they have? 42. So then you got again the 42 cities of the Levian, which are also related to the name Anavachayach, the name of 42. But together with the other six cities, together with the other six cities, the 42 add up with another six, is 48 cities. Which spells the word Memches, which spells the word Cham. Which Noah had three sons, Shem, Cham, and Yafes. Cham is Gevura. Cham means heat. So he says 48 is also Gevura. And that's why Kapitel 48 in Tehillim, chapter 48 in Tehillim, also starts with Lam Natseach Livnei Korach. Just like 42 is Gevura, 48 is also Gevura, Lam Natseach Livnei Korach, and more. This is the Shir Shalyom that we said today on Monday, because Monday is Gevura. So we say Kapitel, I'm sorry, not, I'm sorry, I said the wrong one, not Shir Mitlamatech Nekorach, Shir Mizmar Livnei Korach. Wrong one. Shir Mizmar Livnei Korach. This is the one we say on, but we say it on Mondays. Godel Hashem HaMuhulomi Oid Be'ir Elokeinu, the Monday Shir Shalyom, because it's Shach Gevura. In any case, back to what I was saying before. The name of 42 is the name of Gevura. So therefore, it's a name that shatters the klipa. It breaks the klipa. But the name of 42 is also a name that is about elevation. Elevating. That's why we find that we say anavakoach. When do we say anavakoach? So mystically in, in Eitz Chaim, from the Arizal, he explains that there is, you can't elevate without the name 42. All elevations have to go through 42. In every world, there's a name 42, and that's the elevator. Actually, he says that it's always the name 42 of the higher world that pulls the energy up. So he says there's a name 42 in Atsilus that pulls up the sparks from Bria, whatever the entities of the world of Bria into Atsilos are pulled by the name 42 of Atsilos. Then there's a name 42 in Bria that pulls the energy from Yitzira upward. And then there's a name 42 in Yitzira that pulls the energy from Asiya upward. And then there's a name 42 in Asiya that pulls the sparks from the Klippa that's outside even of holiness into Kedusha. So the name 42 is the name of, of inwardness. It's the name of elevation. It's the name of elevating sparks of holiness. And everything elevating. That's why every time we hit, we step into the elevator and we hit the button upward to go higher in our spirituality, in our life, it's always with the name of 42. For instance, in the morning, before we daven, we say it amongst the karbonos. What are karbonos? Sacrifices, which are all elevation. We elevate animals up to Hashem. And now we're going to elevate our own animal soul in davening, raise our consciousness to higher, together with all the sparks of holiness that we collected from yesterday, from all the doings that we did in the world, we had collected sparks of holiness, and now we're going to elevate it. What do we say? We say, Ana Friday night, which is a time 
If we elevate sparks every day, little by little, when it comes Friday night, we gather all the sparks for the entire week, and we hit a much higher button on the elevator, and all of existence rises. The Jewish souls rise into Shabbos. It's a very feminine energy. Feminine energy is an upward energy. Even though we spoke before, the woman is down, but precisely because she's the vessel down, she has a yearning to go up. But in any case, it's that energy of Membeis 42. What do we say? Right before the Chadodi, which is a song, we say, Before we go to sleep at night, in Krishna Shalamita, when we're going to lift our soul up and, re- and, 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 and charge it for the night, which is Rosh Tevis Be'er, we're going to put our soul back into the well the well of godliness for the night. That's what a be'er is. In your hand, I'm giving over my soul. How do we, how do we enter into that state? Which is also a time of elevating sparks of holiness. Also a time of gevura. Time of this, that's why we, right? We know it's a little bit of a harsh time. And 42, 42 journeys in the Midbar, which is a time of going of going out of the land of Egypt to the land of Eretz Yisrael. It's an upward journey, an elevation, higher and higher and higher and higher. 42 journeys, the name of 42. Three weeks is how much? 21 days. So the Kajnitz Magid says, the 21 days have 21 days and 21 nights. The 21 days and the, plus the 21 nights is 42. So really the energy of the three weeks is the energy of this extraction. This is the time. We go into the narrowness in order to extract everything. So during the 21 and 21, 42. It's hinted to, says the Zerakoidish, the Rav Shetzerebbe, in the word Eke Asher Eke. What does Hashem say to Moshe Rabbeinu? Eke asher eke. I will be who I am. I will be who I will be. The first name that Moshe says to him, says to God, what's your name? He says, Eke asher eke. Eke, Aleph, Hey, Yud, Hey, is 21. Eke asher eke is what? Two times eke. It's 21 and 21, the name 42. Why is he saying it to him now? Because these are the names. God says, I am with them in this exile. I will be with them in in all other exiles. That's how Rashi explains it. So it's the name of God dominating during the exile, which is what? It's all about this extraction. That's what we're doing in the exile. But then the Rav Shitzer adds something amazing. He says, similar to the Karjot Samagat, 21 and 21, but not the 21 days and the 21 nights. He says, the 21, how do we... how do we extract everything? It's with our emuna that these 21 days are going to be the happiest days after Mashiach comes. He says that's the twice 21. The 21 as these days are now, and the 21 days as this is going to be yom and toivim, a crazy yom tiv. When you take the 21 days of mourning and you attach them to the 21 days of joy, you get 42, and that's, the, and that's how the Ebershter says, Eka Asher I will be with you in the exile, I will be, be with you in the Giyulah. Now let's go back, says the Bnei Yisachar to Elam, where do you have the name 42 hinted? Besides the 42 journeys, where do you have the name 42 hinted in the Pasuk? Watch this. Ele, these are Masei Bnei Yisro. Masei Bnei is Membez, right at the word. 
So Eilev, the Eilev Masei B'nei Yisrael is through the Membeis, through the through the, 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 30, the 42 journeys. More, it's not only that, um, hold on, give me a second. Uh, and then it says, Biyad Moshe. Eile Mase B'nei Yisrael, Al Pi Hashem, Biyad Moshe. Biyad Moshe is what? Again, the first letters, Membeis. The hand of Moshe, that's the, the, that's the membeis as well. And then it says, Ve'ele Maseyem. And, and these are their journeys. After it says, Ve'ele Maseyem. Ve'ele. Ele is 36, as we said earlier. Ve'ele with above, 36 plus 6, 42. Ve'ele Maseyem. Their journeys were through the power of 42, all the elevations. Now, if you take the word Ele, now what happens after we do the whole journey? After Alts, good, we did. Ele Masi B'nei We reached the Geula, we reached the redemption. If you take the word Ele, I told you I'm gonna make a nice cholent over here. It says the Tzemach Tzadik. This is from the, not the Tzemach Tzadik. The tzemach tzadik. You see, but you see how everybody's, everybody's flowing in that direction over here. If you take the word Ele and you spell out the letters, Alif, you make the gematria, alif, lamid. You spell out lamid mem dalid. Hey is hey, hey. You do the gematria of that, you get 195, which is gematria haketz. Eila maseb in Yisrael is for one purpose, haketz. It's to bring to the ultimate ketz. Ketz means the end, the end, the goal of it all is the ketz. And that's why he says also, it says the journeys were Alpi Hashem, Alpi by the mouth of God, Alpi is Gematria 190, Kates. God's intention in every single journey of everything is one thing, Kates. And he says that anything a person does, everything that happens has to be with the conscience. And that's what the Rebbe wanted of us so much that everything we do has to be just one track minded, Kates, Kates, Kates. It's all leading to the Kates. To the, to, the, to the final gila, to the redemption. That's if you're going, I'll pee Hashem, by the mouth of God. If you're not going, I'll pee Hashem, and you're just, you know, wandering around in life, then you're not thinking about hakates. But if you are focused in on it, I'll pee Hashem, is hakates. Now I said earlier that the name of 52, I'm sorry, the name of 42, is the name of Gavura. The name of Gevura. The word Elemase, Elemase, two words together, Gematria of Elemase is 216. 216 is Gematria Gevura. Because the power to extract sparks of holiness needs Gevura. That's why we need the name 42, which the name of 42 is the name of Gevura. That's from the Chidah, Sefer Nachal Kedumim. So Elemase is Gematria Gavura. Now if you look on, on my class um, last week in the Lakuti Torah shir that we learned, Pasha's Chukas, he actually explains, and I'm going to conclude with this, 
that are the name Anavachayach, which is the name of 42, has um, seven sentences. Every sentence is made up of six letters, six words. Anavachayach gedulas yemincha tatir tzerura. Six. And the next sentence. Kabel rinas amcha sagvenu tarenu neira. Six. Each one six. It's made up of, and these are, so in the end, you have the first letter of these six words spell two names of God, each one of three. So the names of God are really three letters. So you have seven times, you actually have 14 names of Hashem. Because you have seven sentences, each one of six letters, Seven times six is 42. That's how you get to 42. The first letter is the Russia tapes. By the way, who made this prayer? This prayer was made by Reb Nechunya ben Akana, one of the great, great Tanoim, who was a great Kabbalist and great mystic. He made this prayer based on the name of the Shem Membez. Six, uh, seven passages, each one made up of six words, which each three of the first letter spell a word, which that word is one of God's name. For example, the first word is abag. Aleph, Beis, Gimel. Ana v'chayach gedulas. And the second one is yemincha tatir tzerura. Yud, taf, tzadik is the second name. So on. If you look in the side of Yusidr, you'll see that these, these are Rosh Hateves, and it says when you say ana v'chayach, you're supposed to look at these words and have in mind, you're not supposed to say these, these names, but you're supposed to have them in mind. What are these 14? Now, by the way, one of the explanations I saw for the name 42, where do you get the name 42? We know God has a right hand and a left hand, but there's also an, a third hand. It's called Yad Hagdullah, the right hand. Yad Hazaka is the left hand, the mighty hand, Gvura, And Yad Haramba, the exalted hand. B'nei Yisrael Yoitzim B'yad Rama, the exalted hand. So the three hands, one is Chesed, one is Gevura, and one is Teferis. Three hands. Now when you take Yad is 14. 14 times 3 is 42. It's the three Yodos of the Ebeshter. So it's interesting that it has 14 Shemos in the name Anavachayach um, has 14 shames, Gematria Yad. So there's some connection between Yad and Anavachayach. And okay. But he, I'm just going to conclude with this last amazing thought. He says that the first, when, the first phrase is made up of two names Abag Yitatz. That's the first sentence. Anavachayach Adullah Simincha Abag Yitatz. He says the Gematria of Abag Yitatz is 506. 506 is about, you see, Aleph Beis Gimel is 6. And Yud, Tuf Tzadik is 500. Tuf is 400, Tzadik is 90, Yud is 10. 500 plus 6, 506. It's the same gematria as the word Tolea. Tolea means a worm. A worm. Then he says, if you go down to the bottom of the Anavachayach, you get the last sentence. You have again another, the first letters spell out another name. 
That, that name of God is Gematria 906. It's not 506, it's 906. He says that's the Gematria of the same as the word Toilas. Which Toilas means a worm. Tolea is a worm and Tolas is a worm. One is a male worm and one is a female worm. And what's so, why are we so excited about the worm? Well, you're activating the holy worms. <laughs> this is getting really good. You're activating the holy, holy worms because in order to take down a big tree, you can try to bang it and zets it and try to do it and you might, might not be successful. Take some worms, leave them there for a little while, they'll hollow out the tree. Worms, they're so tiny, they're so small, but they're so powerful. They can burrow into a tree and knock down Destroy an entire tree, take a whole tree down. So he says these are worms of holiness. And the sages say the power of the worm is in its mouth. Like this, it has no power. But its little tiny mouth is like tiny little daggers. And they could penetrate and break through. Like, like the massive hard things can go through with these worms. So he explains the power of the worm is... The Jewish people are compared to a worm in that our powers without mouth. Our powers without mouth. But the difference between the male worm and the female worm is in our mouth, there's two types of words. There's words of Torah and there's words of tefillah. The first phrase is referring to that's the power of the words of Torah, which is called the greatness of God's right hand. The Last phrase is Shavasenu Kabel, receive our prayers, Ushmatzakasenu, is the feminine words. We have male words and feminine words. Our male words and, and feminine words, words of prayer and words are the most potent power in the world to destroy all klipa that exists and to extract all energies of holiness. That's why the first sentence and the last sentence are both gematria worm in Hebrew, one male and one female. Prayer is feminine words, Torah is masculine words. When we speak words of Torah and words of prayer, wherever we are, we're activating these powerful worm of Kedusha to defeat the unholy, and the unholy there's also the power of the worm, and it's, 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 it's all problem. For that, I don't want to get into it now because I'm simply too late, so I would recommend if you, if you listen to our my Thursday night class last week, it's like eight hours of listening because you have a few, like three, four classes. But primarily the last one was about the worm. Chukas, part number four. Really fascinating stuff. I think you really enjoy it. And we'll conclude with that. Now that we finished already the Anavachayach, we finished all the 42 journeys. Everything is done already. We're ready without a shadow of a doubt for the complete Kates and revelation of... Eka Asher Eka, the complete Geula, the 21 days of darkness should flip over to 21 days of joy, and the complete Shlemus of the name of Membez. And with that name, and with that light, and with that greatness, we will already have the Geula Shlema. May it be now, now, and now. And most of what I wanted to say, we didn't get to say. I don't say most, but at least a nice bunch. But as I said, we have to leave some for next time. Okay, everyone. Take care.